Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. Good to see you guys. Happy May. (laughs) By the way, Brent is not omnipresent. When he said he's serving in children's ministry, that's after he did the the announcements. He wasn't doing that at the same time. I just thought it's worth clarifying because... You know, anyway. So um, this morning, though, we are in our final Sunday message on the series we've been in about hearing God, how to hear God's voice. Have you guys enjoyed that series? I have loved this series. Personally, I've grown, I've been stretched, I've been encouraged and challenged. Today's our final Sunday. We'll also, of course, we'll still be in it this week in our daily devotions. And if you're part of a small group or any sort of discussion group that's going through this book as well, you'll still be in this. But today, um, we're, we're talking about ways that we're trying to pay attention to God's presence and God's voice outside of the, the places where we might expect to find him. So in other words, um, there's recognized places where we expect to encounter God's voice or God's presence when we gather like this uh, on a Sunday morning or, or when we gather for a church type of group or discussion. Uh, when we sit down to read the Bible or when we sit down to pray, those are times when we expect to hear God's voice, and we do. But there's also opportunities to, to discern God's presence and his leading and his voice in places where we wouldn't expect. So, for example, last week, um, or two weeks ago, we went through the, the, uh, the fact that God often whispers to us in our moment-to-moment life, which means our daily life, our routine life, the things that we're doing out there that have nothing to do with, quote-unquote, spirituality, and yet we can learn to discern God's voice if we can pay attention to what Scripture calls his still, small voice, or the thin whisper, the thin silence. So there's, there's that. We talked about moment-to-moment life. Last week, Pastor Brent took us through the fact that throughout human history, as we search Scripture, we see a, a repeated theme throughout Scripture that God has often spoken to people in dreams and visions of the night during people's sleeping hours. And it's not something that happens every time people go to sleep, but if we're open to that, God might in fact speak to us even in our dreams and in our sleep. This week, we're going to be considering how God speaks through three things, through culture, through community, and through creation. So here's our title slide for this morning. Um, We're going to start with culture, but let me just talk about why I find this so exciting. Um, I love these last three chapters. Well, I love the first four as well, the first four topics, but I love what happens in these last three chapters because if these things are true, if we can learn to recognize God's voice outside of the, um, the, the ways we expect him, then it opens all of our life to God's presence and voice. All of our life. So even the third of our life that we spend asleep, or some of us don't get that third that we're recommended, if you, a fourth of your life that you spend asleep, that could be a place where you encounter God's voice and God's leading. Even the times when we're engaged in activities that don't seem spiritual, even when we're spending time with people who don't share our faith or our beliefs, and even when we're in places that don't seem particularly sacred or holy, places that that aren't Christian, right? I'll I'll probably do a lot of finger quotes today. (laughs) If this is true, if we can learn to recognize God in all those places, then the dividing line between sacred and secular is abolished, and everything, everywhere, everyone, becomes a place of potential encounter and participation with the living God. It means that all of life can be holy, and any moment, every moment, can be permeated by, saturated by, enveloped in God's presence. And there's something really exciting about that. Does that excite you? I read a quote this week in, uh, recently, and in, in, I heard it in my daily devotions. I, I, I thought I'd put it up here because this comes from Lectio 365. Um, we'll put it up here on the screen. Author and psychologist David Benner invites us to treat all of life. 
the key word, all of life as sacred. If we treat it as sacred, potent with divine love and intent, then wonder begins to burst upon us. I love that phrase, burst upon us. That's what I want. Have you had the experience where you, where you suddenly feel God's presence? We, the, one of the key passages that we've been in for this series is the, the story in, in Luke where the two disciples have an encounter with Jesus and, they, and afterwards they say, weren't our hearts burning within us? I've been in places, I've been in places like this when my heart burned within me and I sensed God speaking directly to me. But I've also had God speak to me in movies and in books where I wasn't necessarily expecting it. And I find that terribly exciting. That's my prayer for us. So we're going to turn first to hearing God's whisper in culture. Uh, for that, we're going, to be, we're going to spend some time here this morning. That's going to be our primary one. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'll give you a little background. Here's a map that is relevant for, um, for today. This is a, this, what this map reflects is Paul's second missionary journey. During Paul's um, ministry years. He took three missionary journeys. This was his second one. So it starts down there in the right-hand corner in Jerusalem. Uh, works, well, actually, it starts up in Antioch and then ends in Jerusalem. But our place that's relevant today, it's the, where the little highlighted circle is, it's Athens. And um, Paul's, when we meet Paul in Athens in chapter 17, as we pick it up, Paul is there by himself. He starts the journey with traveling companions. But when he reaches Athens, he's gone ahead of them. They've stayed behind and he brings them, he's, he's waiting for them to catch up to him. So he's waiting for Silas and Timothy. And so he's not actually engaging in ministry quite yet. What he's doing is actually doing a little bit of reconnaissance. And he's walking around Athens. It's the first time he's been there. And it's not just the first time Paul's been there. It's the first time the gospel of Jesus has been there. Okay, this is, this is the furthest west the gospel of Jesus has ever reached. There is no Christian presence in Athens. There's a Jewish presence because, and there was a small Jewish community, but they didn't have the message of Jesus. They just had the Hebrew scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament. And so it's a predominantly Greek slash Roman Gentile culture with a small Jewish presence and no Christian community whatsoever. So here's the things we know about, about um, Athens that Paul is experiencing is he's, he's walking around the city for the first time, just trying to get his bearings, get a feel for what are these people like? What do they value? And he's finding things that we know historically about Athens. We, uh, this is a city of ancient Greece that was famous for a few things. So they were famous for philosophy. They were famous for intellectual study. And they were famous for idols, which means gods, little g. Gods you can make with your hands. In fact, there's this, there's this somewhat satirical quote about Athens that was attributed to Petronius. And Petronius said this. He said, it is easier to find a god than a man in Athens. Easier to find a god than a man in Athens. I don't know if it's a statement about the volume of idols or the lack of men. I don't know. But there you go. So as we pick up in Acts 17, Paul is just experiencing all of this. We're going to be in 17, starting in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, meaning for uh, Silas and Timothy, while he's waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and with the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So the question, first of all, is why is Paul deeply troubled? It's because he sees uh, an empty spirituality that is so prevalent throughout Athens. Meaning, the people of Athens, they were not agnostic. They weren't atheistic. They were very spiritual, very religious. In fact, he's going to acknowledge that. But the reality is, they were giving their worship and their devotion to gods that they could fashion with their hands and create with their imaginations. And Paul looks at the emptiness, the futility of giving your worship and your devotion to things that you could make with your hands, to, to things that you could imagine with your own imagination, like, that's not the one true God. Paul's disturbed by the futility of, here's how I phrased it, religion without substance. Do you, know, do you know we still have that today? There's such a thing as religion without substance, without truth, without power. So what does Paul do? He goes first to the small Jewish community where he can use the scriptures to present the truth about Jesus. And he says, look, this 
this long-awaited, long-promised Messiah that, that you've been waiting for, that your scriptures point to, it's found in Jesus. And he can show how Jesus is the fulfillment of, of all those promises. So he, in the Jewish community, it's a small Jewish community, synagogue, he can basically do Bible study with them. But the question is, how do you reach people who don't value the Bible? You can't really argue from a document that people don't value or care about. So verse 18, he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, resurrection's key here, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas that he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. <laughs> I love this. The gospel of Jesus seems strange to them because it's not the kind of religion that a human would imagine or conjure up. He's not talking about a God that they can see. He doesn't bring a God that he's made with his hands that he can introduce to them. He's talking about, he's actually going to talk about an invisible God who created everything. And it's disturbing to them because this isn't what they're used to. This is so different. Think about it. The gospel of Jesus is first and foremost, it's about God entering into his creation as a very vulnerable baby born in a somewhat scandalous situation in an inconspicuous, impoverished, and obscure corner of the empire. This, this is not the kind of stories that... You know, so, so Athens is historically a Greek city. Now it's part of the Roman Empire. You think about the, the, the Greek and Roman mythology and the gods that they've imagined. This, this is not one of those stories. Born into an impoverished, obscure corner of the empire as a baby... He grows up to be a man who's eventually rejected and then executed by his own people in the most shameful and dishonorable death imaginable. Crucifixion was a death reserved for criminals. Romans, it was illegal for a Roman to be crucified because it was a dishonorable death reserved for the worst of the worst. This man who was rejected and executed then came back to life and claims that through his death and resurrection, eternal life and forgiveness of sin is now available for anyone as a free gift, anyone who puts their faith in him. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to do sacrifices. They have to ask for it and receive it in faith. Okay. Again, think about what you know about the Greek and Roman gods and their mythology. This is, this is completely out of sync. Verse 19. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. The Areopagus that's introduced here, that's basically, it's like, think of it like the city council of Athens. And they were responsible for not just civic matters, legal matters of the city, but also for spiritual matters, for the philosophy that was, that was entertained there. So they're cautiously curious about this new religion from the East. Think about this. When this reaches Athens, it's an Eastern religion. And they go, we don't know what to do with this. This is not like anything we've heard before. Not what they're familiar with, but they're curious. Verse 22. So Paul standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription to it, on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. <laughs> Here we find out that Paul while he was doing these scouting walks, these reconnaissance. He was, he was taking in the city and much of what he saw deeply disturbed him. Disturbed him in his spirit because he saw the emptiness of it and the futility for these people that were believing this. So he's bothered for them, not by them. He's bothered for them. And so, but, but he saw something that didn't bother him. He saw something that contained a whisper about the one true God. Now, if Paul was just paying attention to the noise of all the idols and everything, was just, was just paying attention to everything that was bothering him and agitating him, he might have missed this. But somehow, he was dialed into the still, small voice of God, 
and he saw something that captured his attention. He saw something that was engraved to the unknown God. Historians tell us the, the background of this. At some previous time in Athens history, there had been a, a, a devastating uh, plague, I believe, that came across the city. And the people were tried to you know, avert the plague and were powerless. And so they began appealing to their gods to intervene for them. And so they were offering sacrifices to all their gods and nothing seemed to avert their plague. So one um, shepherd brought, had this idea and he brought some sheep to a, a hill, a prominent place in Athens called Mars Hill, and, re- and released sheep on the hill, and then watched for where they would travel. And when one of the sheep stopped, he went there and built an altar right there, sacrificed that sheep in that spot, and the plague stopped. And they said, wow, there is a powerful God. We don't know who this is, but there is a powerful God that just intervened for us. And so from that point forward, they began worshiping the unknown God. Paul shows up and he says, this, uh, this unknown God that you've been worshiping, I'm here to tell you about them. Paul's heard a whisper about the unknown God. He wants to turn up the volume to 11, right? It's interesting. Now read this. Listen to the tone of this once more. Let's go, let's go back to verse 22 again. Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of the altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. Here's what I find interesting. And I, find it, I think about this, like how would we respond today how, how do we as Christians sometimes respond to uh, re- other religions, things that we might perceive as empty religions, like that might even evoke some of the same response as what Paul initially experienced as he walked around Athens. But what Paul doesn't do, he doesn't ridicule them. He doesn't mock them. He doesn't become antagonistic. And, and here's why. Because he's not trying to win a debate He's trying to win people to the kingdom. And do you know of anybody who was ever won to the kingdom by mockery and criticism? So what he does, he finds some common ground. He finds something that they believe in that he can use as a starting point and say, I want to talk to you about this. He tells them about the unknown God that they've, had, that they've left room for. Verse 24. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. He's the creator. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand where they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Verse 27, his purpose was that for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own, prof- or own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul does something here that is um, <laughs> really unusual. It, it, well, it's very unusual for him. Because normally we see Paul do what, what he did in, in this passage. He starts, he always goes to the Jewish community first in a new city, and he begins arguing from Scripture. But again, the question is, how do you reach a, a broad community who has no value of Scripture, who goes, well, you know, why so? <laughs> so what does he do? He, he quotes their authors. He quotes their poets. The first quotation here, these are, both of these quotes, I put them in quotes here. You can put them back on the screen for just a second, please. You see that there's, there's two quotes here where he's quoting Greek authors that would be well-known. Uh, the first quote is about 600 years old. The other one's about two to 300 years old. But these are Greek authors that would be well-known. These were popular authors in their culture. The first quotation, in him we live and move and have our being, it's from a hymn to the god Zeus by Epimenides in Crete. 
Paul, uh, this is not the only time in scripture that Paul quotes Epimenides. He also quotes him in the book of Titus, meaning Paul was very familiar with the cultural authors and the, the things that shaped other people, the, the things they were paying attention to. The second quote, for we are indeed his offspring, that's from the poem Phenomena uh, by the Stoic po- poet uh, Eratus. And Paul's familiar with enough with both of them that he can speak their language and use their language as touch points to help explain Jesus. Can, again, we're, li- we're saying, how do we learn to discern God's voice not only in Scripture and in prayer and in spiritual gatherings, worship, all of those things, these are all valid. Does God also speak through other ways that we can learn to discern? Here's what we see Paul doing. We see him using their cultural uh, touch points. During that walk in the city, Paul had been looking for and listening to anything that whispered of the one true God, of the gospel of Jesus. And now he's using their art forms, their culture, to help them understand the gospel. So I was trying to think, what would the modern day equivalent be like this? Because honestly, this is a, a little bit scandalous. Again, this is unusual, but it's how God was reaching these people. I think the modern day equivalent would be like if, if uh, he was to quote from Stephen King or J.K. Rowling or Taylor Swift. Okay. Popular artists who are shaping the culture. George Lucas. Pete Gregg in our book this week P. Gregg's gonna has this great quote in this section where he's talking about how to discern God's voice in culture. And by the way, Pete gives some great pointers about how we can approach this with wisdom uh, and, and how do we learn how to discern that. He's gonna give some great guidelines that we don't, we're not gonna go over all of them today, so make sure you take a look at that. But I did wanna read this quote from Pete. From, this is on page 209 of your chapter this week. He said, Paul's years of studying the scriptures and learning to hear the voice of God, have brought him to this extraordinary place in which he can trace the whisper of God in a pagan text amid a culture littered with idolatrous shrines. And in many ways, that's the aim of this whole book, that we might become so familiar with the word of God in its most obvious forms, scripture, prophecy, dreams, soul friendships. That's that's something you're going to learn about this week is soul friendships. We become so familiar with God in his, most, in his most obvious forms that we're enabled to hear God speak in all the earth to people and things that are not in any way consciously Christian. By learning to hear God in the sermon on Sunday, we begin to hear his voice in the news on Monday. By learning to see Christ in Christians, we begin to meet him in strangers. And we notice that the word of God is not only being uttered in the sacred scriptures, but also primordially in creation, more existentially in history, more imaginatively in the works of art, and more immediately and personally in human experience. That's what we're talking about. We're going to talk about why. Why do we want to pay attention to God and culture? We're going to look at two reasons. But first, let's finish this passage. Verse 29. This is Paul bringing this to a close. He says, since this is true, everything he just said about God, who he is, what he's done, Since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Comes full circle to the resurrection. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So, three responses, three, three general responses. Some rejected. They scoffed. Some believed. And they became followers of Jesus. And some were, were intrigued. It's like seeds were planted in their heart. And they weren't close to it, but they said, can we, can we revisit this? This is, this is what we see in this story is what Jesus told about in the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower is that somebody goes out to scatter the word of God and it doesn't have the same response with every person. It falls differently in different soil. It falls differently in different people's hearts. And Paul's job is to go out and scatter the seed in truth. 
and then see what bears fruit. This brings us to the two reasons we might want to learn to recognize God's whisper in human culture. First of all, I would say, it's pure, first of all, it's for our own enjoyment. For our own enjoyment. When the sacred comes crashing through the secular, we learn to enjoy God's presence in all of our life. We find out that God, unlike Brent, is omnipresent. And God is whispering to our hearts, not only in cathedrals and sanctuaries, but also in movie theaters, concert arenas, not only through the Bible, but even through novels, through television. Let me give you an example. Two, Andrea and I have seen two movies recently in the theater where we've actually gone to a, had a old school theatrical experience. It's really nostalgic, right? We've seen two movies. We saw uh, Jesus Revolution and we saw A Man Called Otto uh, starring Tom Hanks. Now, Jesus Revolution, most of you are probably familiar with it. It's a story of, um, of Calvary Chapel, of Lonnie Frisbee, of um, Greg Laurie. Uh, we went to that, and what we expected, because we knew what the story was going to be, we expected to hear the gospel presented there. We expected it to have a Christian theme and to be, for it to be overtly Christian. And that's exactly what we experienced. It was a very powerful movie. What I didn't expect is when we went to see a man called Otto, and I don't like to know, I don't actually like to know what movies are about. Like, Andrea hates this because I won't watch a preview because they, they give the whole movie away, right? And I want to be surprised. And so sometimes we got ourselves into trouble because we're watching something we're like, I don't think this is what we thought we were going to see, right? But I, I, I want to let the story unfold without me knowing where it's going to go. And so I had no idea. We went into A Man Called Otto, but I just knew it was a Tom Hanks movie and it got good reviews. And God stirred in me so powerfully in that movie. I didn't expect, it had themes of, of divine intervention. It had themes of the power of forgiveness and grace to transform people's lives. It had a story of what it was really looked like to love your neighbor. Like it was so powerful. I, was, I, I left that movie undone because God was whispering to my heart and, and awakening my heart through it. I left there encouraged and exhorted to good works because of a Tom Hanks movie. Again, one was overtly telling about Jesus. One had the whispers of the gospel permeating it. Okay, so that's one reason we want to learn to recognize God's voice and culture because it's for our own enjoyment. We get to enjoy God everywhere, not just in the sacred places. The second reason, though, is what we see Paul doing here is to learn how to recognize God's whisper through culture so that we can share the gospel of Jesus in ways that are accessible and relatable with other people. So, I was thinking about this this week. When I was hired on as a youth pastor, I, I started here in 1999, January of 99 as a youth pastor. And at that time in, uh, in American culture, well, actually, actually around the globe, there was a book, that, a book series that was being rolled out every couple of years. A new book would come out. It was the Harry Potter series. And um, it was very popular, like, across the globe and with actually multi-generations, but especially with teens. Teens love this book. And so, uh, there, but there was a lot of Christian parents who were wrestling with whether it was good for their kids to read this book or whether it was potentially harmful spiritually. Did it present uh, a, a spiritual worldview that was, was harmful to their kids or was it a chance for discussing it? And, and honestly, as a youth pastor, as I talked with families, I had families landing... On, on different, in different places and all over the map as far as how they were responding to it. But, and that was, that was as it should be because God entrusts, um, you know, parents and kids to one another and gives them wisdom for that. So, but, but here's the discussion I got to have with some parents that if you choose to let your kids read these books, there are whispers and touch points of the gospel that could be really helpful for having conversations about the gospel. So, for example... The whole premise of Harry Potter's life is that he's been marked by an act of self-sacrificing love. So if you've seen the movies, he's got a scar. He's got a lightning-shaped scar on his forehead. How did he get that scar? He was marked when his mom stood in between him and, and certain death and actually stepped in the way to take the curse for him. That's actually speaks to the gospel, right? I don't necessarily think that's what J.K. Rowling was writing. But if you're paying attention to the whispers, 
and you're listening, is it possible that God could even speak through a novel, a, a secular novel, and place truth in there that can then be used to, to, just like Paul did, and said, hey, this unknown God, I want to talk to you about that. Galatians 3.13 says this. This is Paul writing to the Galatian church. He said, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. He's rescued us from the curse. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. He, took the, he stepped in our place. He took the curse for us. For it is written in scripture, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The gospel is that for everyone who receives Jesus' love and opens their heart to him in faith, we get marked by his self-sacrificial love when he stood in our place and took the curse for us, when he defeated the dark Lord. This, this is the gospel. Revelation 22, flash forward to the end of human history as we know it. Revelation 22 says this, no longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and the lamb will be there. His servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. How do you talk about the gospel with a teen who doesn't value scripture but loves Harry Potter? Well, there's a good starting place. But it starts with discerning. So, Pete Gray gives us some great counsel this week. I encourage you to read that. Let's, look at, let's turn to community. Um, I'm primarily going to leave this aspect of hearing God in community to your reading. Uh, again, there's a section on soul friends that is incredibly helpful and uh, inspiring and actually um, sets our expectations in terms of what does it take to create the kind of friendships with, with a fellow believer that are mutually encouraging, that God can use to shape our, our, our lives. What I do want to say is this, though. Um, God has created us with a deep and intrinsic need for one another. That traces back to creation. Think about the creation story. Before the fall, God makes everything, and everything, he, he gives a benediction to it. He says everything's good. He makes whales, and he's like, that's good. He makes trees, that's good. Dogs, good. Cats, well, he didn't, yeah, he didn't risk cats. <laughs> everything's good. He makes man, and he says it's very good, but then he, he says what, what, what theologians call the first malediction. And it's before the fall. He says this. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. That means that God has hardwired us and created us for intimate relationship with fellow human beings. Specifically talking about the male-female relationship is what God's talking about there. But the same God who said it's not good for a man to be alone would say it's not good for a Christian to be alone. God speaks to us through human community. There's things that God wants to say to you or through you that, that only happens in relationship with, with other believers. There's things that God wants to set you free from. There's things that God wants to heal you from. There's things that, ways that God wants to use you for other people that only happen in Christian community. We need regular Christian relationship, fellowship, and engagement with our, for our own growth in Christ-likeness and for our ability to be a countercultural witness in our world. Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 10. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I think it's interesting that in the first century, there was already a trend towards Christians isolating from one another and saying, I don't, I don't need to be in Christian community. I just need Jesus. And here the author of Hebrews is saying, no, that's not true. You need one another to stir one another, to encourage and equip and empower one another to love and good works. And, and it takes the Christian community to do that. I read an article this week about, the, about declining church attendance. Uh, this is actually a, a trend across North America. This was America and Canada or U.S. and Canada. And the author of this article was talking about how this trend actually started about 20 years ago and then has amplified and sped up over the last several years. And, and now there's this, there's this actually, it, it's actually become countercultural 
to regularly make space for your spiritual community, for your spiritual growth in your schedule. That now it's just often considered like one option among many. He gave a bunch of reasons why. He said uh, greater affluence means there's more options, especially like on the weekend. Uh, people can travel. There's more options for entertainment. There's more ob- options to do projects around the house. There's more options for hobbies. He said there's a higher focus now on kids' activities. That it used to be that, that um, Sundays were kind of held uh, as a time for Christian gathering. And anymore, that's, that's just not true. And so many families are having to choose between their kids participating in soccer or softball or whatever it is or spiritual community. He said there's online options, including access to any ministry literally anywhere in the world, which is not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. This week, we, we, uh, we said goodbye to Tim Keller. Pastor Tim Keller passed away, uh, I think, on Friday who is a, a, a pastor who has had a global influence largely accessible because of the internet. Uh, I've heard Tim Keller speak once live, but he has impacted my faith because I've read his books, I've listened to his sermons. That's a wonderful thing. So having access to, to world-class teachers through the internet is an amazing thing, but it's meant to supplement our faith, not replace our, one on, our face-to-face relationship. It can't replace that. Don't neglect meeting together. He talked about self-directed spirituality. Self-directed means I don't need anybody else. It's just me and Jesus. I don't really like his kids. I just like him. (laughs) And self-directed spirituality has resulted in uh, many people's faith being marginalized or sidelined, people's faith becoming pretty much fruitless and even shipwrecked. What all this amounts to is a seismic shift in our culture today to where today to organize your schedule around faith community, around gathering with other believers for like this type of gathering or small groups, places where you're encouraged, inspired, and pointed back towards God, that that's actually abnormal and is countercultural. You have to resist the cultural trend in order to do that. So here's the question. Here's just an application question. What does your calendar tell you and your children, actually? What does your calendar tell you and your children about what you value as important? Because what you actually fill your calendar with is what you actually value. You can say, I value these things. What you actually do speaks more loudly. And so the challenge is vote with your feet. Okay, one last way that we're going to look at how God whispers to us is through creation. I thought to do this, I would read from Pastor Mike's devotions. This is not from this last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before from um, May 10th. But Mike quoted um, an author named Mark Batterson. Mark Batterson wrote a book called How to Hear God's Voice. So I'm about to quote Mike, who was quoting Mark. (laughs) Mark Batterson says, when I first toured the Capitol building, this is in D.C., when I first toured the Capitol more than two decades ago, our guide revealed a secret that wasn't really a secret. The whispering spot. He stood on one side of Statuary Hall while our group stood on the other side, and then he spoke in a whisper. And sure enough, we could mysteriously and miraculously hear the echo of his voice all the way across the room as if he were just inches away. A few tall tales have been told over the years, such as the story of John Quincy Adams pretending to be asleep at his desk while secretly eavesdropping on political opponents. Those stories can't be corroborated, but the physics of it can. The circular walls and the dome ceiling of Statuary Hall allow whispering waves to travel the circumference of the room in unusual ways. I don't know if Dr. William Thornton, the designer of the Capitol building, I don't know if he intended that acoustical effect. And because of the altered configuration of the room, the echoes actually occurred differently now than they did when the house was first built. But the reality is this. Here's the, here's the if you stand in the right spot, you can hear a quiet whisper all the way across the room, even if it's noisy. And that's true even in the month of May, when it seems every eighth grader in America visits the nation's capital on a class trip. (laughs) Batterson goes on to list places in scripture where people experienced whispering spots. And he talks about, here's different individuals who had their whispering spot, the place they went to when they needed to encounter God because it was a place that was like a thin space between heaven and earth where they sensed God's presence. 
And what I'd like to close with today is I encourage you again to read your book because he unpacks this more than I can today. But when I want to talk about how God whispers to us in creation. Paul says this in Romans. He talks about Christians and non-Christians alike being able to, um, oh, maybe I didn't, did I put this in? I did not put this in. I'll read it to you. Romans 1.20. For ever since the world was made, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. And so there's no excuse for not knowing God. Paul says to Christians and non-Christians alike, there's something about creation that witnesses to God's presence, God's voice, God's nature. And so many Christians have, have this experience where they say, the easiest place for me to hear God's voice is when I get outside of the city and I get out into nature and then I experience, uh, I have an easier time recognizing God's voice and presence. Did anybody experience that? So many of us have that. Something about getting a, a, away and, and witnessing rushing streams and, and like the Boise River, just like the other day I stood on, on a bridge in the Boise River and just watched water just gushing, thinking about the whole cycle of nature and all of it came from. We, we get out into nature and we see wildflowers and and trees, and mountains, and majestic jagged peaks. We live in an especially beautiful corner of God's creation that speaks of our creator, and where many people find it easier to be attentive to his whisper. So with that in mind, with the privilege we have here, I invited a guest to come this morning, and to, um, Scott Marchant is here. Scott Marchant is the author of the Hiking Idaho uh, series of books, and Scott goes out, this is what he does with this, his vocation, he goes out and he finds hiking trails in Idaho and documents them and tells other people exactly how to find that trail. He gives mile markers. He gives exact directions. He says, go three-tenths of a mile and then turn to the left. You're going to see a fork. Don't go to the right. Do go to the left. He gives highly specific instructions that allow us to get out and experience God's creation. So he's become a friend over the last like six or seven years. Um, he's also become a guide. I've been able to do hikes that I never would have tried didn't, I didn't know existed, and I certainly wouldn't have tried them because I would get lost. I'm not that handy with a compass. But with Scott's book he, and his voice in my ear, I've experienced some amazing places. Most recently during my sabbatical, I did a hike that I'd never done before. Here's me at the trailhead. This is the hike. This was the Rapid Creek to Boulder Lake. Now, Boulder Lake is up near McCall. Probably many of you have been to Boulder Lake. It's, a very po it's one of the most popular hikes in McCall. And I, it's, one, it's the one I used to go to all the time, but I'd never gone this route. This was through the back country on a solo trail, eight miles long. Well, I guess it was four and a half each way. I encountered one other couple on this trail. It was a solo hike I did. And I got out in the beauty of creation. There's, here's a few photos of what I experienced that day. Just scroll through those. That's Boulder Lake from the side that I'd never seen before. I want to encourage you, if you want to get out into creation and you don't know how to go about doing it, go out and see Scott. Buy one of his books. Um, Scott's books retail for $25. You can buy them. I don't think you can buy them on Amazon, but you can find them like at RAI and bookstores around town. Uh, I actually met Scott first in the, the Saturday market downtown. Um, he's giving us a couple dollars off today, so this is the, you can buy them cheaper here than you can buy them anywhere else. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Um, if you already have his books, you might add one to your collection. He's got some new ones since he was last here. He was last here in 2019. Um, he's got some new ones. He's got one even for uh, best trails for dogs. So if you're, if you're a dog person, um, there's a, a brand new book that's specifically about dogs. Um, if you don't have any, you might start with, there's one that's the best easy hikes in Boise. So that one's uh, accessible from a time perspective. It doesn't require much of a time commitment. And it's also ex uh, accessible for families with smaller children. Um, and I think these books would make an incredible Father's Day gift. If you want to equip a father to uh, get out in creation with his children and, and create memories, um, then this might be a great Father's Day gift. The last thing I want to ask you to do is, um, we're going to put up a, a voucher here. Um, there's going to be people in this room today. If you're joining online, then you're going to have to go find the books. That, like, Well, I think we might stock some in our bookstore, um, but you can go to REI or whatever. Um, if you're here on campus today, I'd like to invite you to consider this. If you go out to buy a book and you can afford to, would you consider buying an extra book 
and filling out this voucher and leaving it for somebody else to pick up. Um, there's going to be people here who, who can't afford that. It'll be about $23 for most of the books. Um, would you consider doing that? Because there's families that would love to get out there and that, that $23 is too much of a stretch. This is a way that we can encourage and equip one another. So um, say hi to Scott. He is, um, I love what he's dedicated his life to. He's dedicated his life to helping people get out and experience in a safe way the outdoors. And um, I just, my, my McCall edition is really worn, <laughs> um, as is my Boise and my easy Boise hikes. He has one for the sawtooth. He's, he's great. So go out there. Um, we're going to close with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand up. What I'd like to do is just pray over us. And over this final week, um, we've said this before, this idea of hearing God's voice. It, we're not graduating. Just because this series is coming to an end this week, we don't graduate with degrees in hearing God. Um, this is a lifelong uh, vocation. This is a lifelong experience. But the idea is that by awakening these desires in us, we're paying attention. We're, we're paying attention in new ways and we're being open in new ways and we're asking God, God, I want to hear your voice. If you are speaking personally to me today, the most important thing I can do is to recognize the ways in which you speak to me and the ways you want to speak to me through other people. Today, we've, we've looked at ways that we can connect with people who don't share our faith or our belief system. We can connect through culture. We can have a shared appreciation of creation. So this is, again, this is an avenue in which we can connect with other people who may not share our faith, but we say, like, hey, let's go for a hike. And then you can talk about the beautiful things. Do you think this, do you think this was made? Do you think someone designed this, or did this just randomly happen? I actually think it takes more faith to believe that creation is happenstance than intelligently designed. But we can say that to people without antagonism. We can have it as a, a, a gracious conversation. As we close, I'm going to pray over us. We're going to put some words for prayer up on the screen. These are some things that our, our ministry team uh, asked God, God, are there some specific things you want to share with us that you want us to pray for today? Um, these are some things that, that our team sensed. Uh, God wants to release purpose and identity. Somebody who's struggling with that and, and wants to have a, a greater sense of that. Uh, Submit distractions to the Lord and pursue Jesus alone. Maybe even in our conversation today, you've recognized there's things that are distracting you and you want a, a more singular focus. Uh, the removal of deceptions and lies. Um, that's, if you, that's you, you know what that means. And then lastly, the word was keep alert. There may be other things that you need prayer for today. And part of our coming together is to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to ask for God's will in situations. So this is part of why we gather. This is part of the Christian community. And so if you have needs, if you see yourself there, or if you have needs this morning, our, our ministry team is just going to be available up front as we close. Um, but here's what I want to invite you to do. We've talked about the gospel in a couple different ways today. We've talked about the way that Paul presented the gospel of Jesus to the people of Athens. And he talked to people who were very spiritual, but didn't necessarily know about Jesus. And I, want to, I have space that there might be people here today, either here in the room or, or watching online, who um, that describes you. You're, you're spiritual, you're religious, you're seeking, but maybe where you've been seeking have been empty avenues. And, and you recognize that, that if there's a, a creator God, an invisible God, and who's made himself known in the person of Jesus and has offered eternal life and forgiveness of sins through his self-sacrificial love, that he stepped in the way to take the curse for you. And if you accept it in faith, that, that you'll be marked. Sometimes people are very scared of revelation and the mark of 666 on people's foreheads. God's people are marked. You accept him in faith, you are marked with one mark. And it's not a number, it's the name of Jesus. It's not a lightning bolt, it's the name of Jesus. So I just want to give an opportunity. If, if you um, have never personally responded to Jesus, that you've been spiritual, you've been seeking, but today you're, there's a stirring in you to say, I think I want to surrender to Jesus. I just want to give you the opportunity to do that right where you are. And, then it, and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. 
And, uh, and then I'll pray specifically over you as we pray together, as we close. And our, our uh, greeters and ushers, they have a packet they're gonna bring to you. Um, but I just wanna invite you, if, if that's you right now, would you just raise your hand right where you are? You got a hand right here? Welcome. Jesus loves you. What's your name? Cameron? Jesus knows you by name, Cameron. He didn't have to ask. I did. Cameron, welcome. Anybody else? We have a hand over here. Church, would you join me in praying? Hey, Mick, what's her, what's her name? Cheryl? Okay. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Cameron and for Cheryl. Today, that we welcome them as brothers and sisters into your family. We thank you for what you did, that you did step in the way of, of certain death. You defeated the dark, Lord, and you took the curse on our behalf. And today, your name is written on our foreheads, that we are marked by what you've done. We are saved by what you did, not by what we do. So Holy Spirit, we invite you now to, uh, to, to, for Cameron and for Cheryl, for them to be born again. Holy Spirit, would you be poured out upon them, in them, make your home in them, be enthroned in them. And God, today, we welcome them into eternal life with you. We welcome them into forgiveness and grace. And we pledge to be a spiritual community that, that, that we can walk together, that we can keep growing together in who you've made us to be. Father, I thank you for this series. I thank you for what you've been awakening in us and what you've been, how you've been expanding our expectations to hear your voice and see you in places where we didn't expect. Would you continue to breathe upon this series as we, as we read, as we discuss, as we practice, as we open ourselves, would you breathe upon us? Would you reveal yourself? And God, would you keep us in this, this uh, school of learning to hear your voice for all our days? We welcome your voice, your presence. We welcome your hand and your heart. We say we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, church. We have opportunity for prayer. If you'd like prayer, come on up. And um, other than that, go make the invisible God visible. Books are out there. Uh, meet and greets out there. Renovations out of the youth garage. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.